Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Um, well, this morning we're actually starting what we call a spiritual growth campaign. And if you're new here this morning, uh, we do this every term. We have one that goes every term. We do a topic and a book and then a topic and then a book, the four terms of the year. And um, the four, the, this one we're doing a topic, a topic for this year, uh, term. And it's around our vision, acts like family, feels like home. And what we're looking at first is how busy we can be. Now, if you want to throw up that, oh, yep, you've got it, Katie, that slide. If you're a graphic designer this morning, that is an assault on your senses. You're like, what is happening on that slide? But I feel like sometimes that's what our life is like. It's coming at us from every direction. It's an assault on our senses. And constantly we want to do things like act like family and feel like home, but the busyness of life gets in the road and distracts us. You know, busyness can be seen as a badge of honour but depending on where you are, also a shame to you. Um, we were, you know, Tamworth, we've been told from people that have moved away from Tamworth that they felt like in Tamworth to be busy was like, you must be important if you're busy. Busy was like, that's a good thing to be. And um, I, I didn't know that. I didn't feel that. Um, you know, during COVID, I think we kind of all got away from that. We don't want to live busy lives anymore. We certainly don't want to be a busy church anymore. Uh, but I was in Byron Bay on holidays a few years ago and I was in a, in a IGA there and there were these two surfy guys, maybe like in their 60s, maybe in their 30s, I don't know, I don't see age. Um, and, um, and they were there and they were talking and, and one fella said to the other, um, hey mate, how have you been? You busy? Like that's a typical how are you kind of statement. And the other guy went, nah. And he went, good. And they both laughed. And I was like, oh, that's not a conversation I hear in Tamworth, that it's a, it's, it's a shame to be busy. It's, it's better to be relaxed and chilled out. They were probably high, but, you know, it's Byron. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel busy a lot of the time. Even coming out of COVID changed life a lot and it's been wonderful, but I still feel busy a lot of the time. Is anyone involved in a group text conversation? And it's just ping, ping, ping. And you want to leave that conversation, but you don't want it to pop up, Bron left the conversation. So you stay in and put your phone on silent and it's just reverberating in your pocket all the time. It feels busy. And people will say, well, no, I'm not busy. I'm not busy. My life's just full. And I would say a rose by any other name makes you feel overwhelmed. It doesn't matter what you call it. It is just busy. Um, but at the same time, we have the same amount of time than anyone in history has ever had. Time has not changed. Time has not reduced. There are still 24 hours in a day. There are still seven days in a week. And yet we have more time-saving machines than any time in history. Think yesterday. Do an inventory of your day yesterday. How many buttons did you push? How many dials did you turn? That in previous generations would have been hours upon hours of manual labour. We have the most time-saving machines in the same amount of time as all of history and yet we feel busier. Dr Richard Swenson puts it like this, being busy is being 30 minutes late for a doctor's appointment because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the bank because you were 10 minutes late dropping the kids off and you ran out of petrol two blocks from the petrol station and you forgot your wallet so you had to go to the bank. That's what busy feels like. But having margin feels like having breath at the top of the stairs. It feels like having money in the bank at the end of the month. It feels like having sanity in your mind at the end of adolescence. And so there's busy and there's margin. 
And, and you know, our, our culture, even though we kind of look at, well, Byron culture, Tamworth culture, our culture as a whole is working against us in this way. There's tremendous overload everywhere we look. There is activity overload. There's just a constant barrage of activity that is available and coming at us. There is change overload. Change used to be linear. It used to be a graph that just gradually went like this, but change is now exponential. You know, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around cryptocurrency and now there's something called artificial intelligence that I'm wondering will help me with my studies. Um, but no, it's not true. I'm not trying to get my head around either of those. I've just given up. I'm a functional 90-year-old. Um, <laughs> but we have choice overload. In 1980, there were 12,000 choices in the average supermarket. In 2004, there were 30,000. I don't know how many. I feel like there's 30,000 choices in the pet food aisle, apart from anywhere else. There is commitment overload. There's constant commitment overload. Um, there's debt overload. And it's not just us, like as people, it's our, our nation. We have more debt as a nation now that since as before the 1950s. That's the last time we had a lot of debt and that was because of World War II. There's decision overload. There's so many decisions to make. We used to go to cafes and Loco would not be able to decide what he wanted for breakfast. And um, yeah, it must be nice, son. Um, but he would be like, um, like oh, I can't decide, you choose for me. We're like, mate, make a decision. And until we went to our psychologist because we we're like, what do we do with this kid? Mate, we're going really for what do we do with our marriage and just happened to ask that um, <laughs> for a monthly check, I don't know, a yearly checkup. Um, and, and our psychologist said to us, oh, you've got to narrow the decisions down. You've just got to give him two options to choose from. The menu was too big, a decision overload. Um, there's an expectation overload. If you dream it, you can do it. Nope. Nope, you can't. Uh, there's fatigue overload. 54% of people say that they feel more fatigued at the end of a holiday than they did at the start. There's something wrong with that. There's hurry overload. 36% of people say that they feel like they're constantly on the go and never stop. There's information overload. There's more information in one single edition of the New York Times than the average 17th century Britisher encountered in their lifetime. And so then you add phones to that and what we can access... Who thinks for themselves anymore? I know I Google everything. If someone asks me a question, I can tell them. <laughs> I've just got to Google it. There's media overload. It's coming at us all the time. There's noise overload. Think about the noises in this room right now that a generation ago didn't have. A generation ago would have been just like peaking that we've got coffee machines in the corner of church. <laughs> and, and by the way, coffee's free. So if you want to text that number, Andrew will never tell you. He manages the budget. <laughs> I'll never tell you it's free, but it is free. <laughs> um, um, but there's, there's noise overload. There's people overload. We've got more people in our lives than generations before did have. There's possession overload. We have more things per person than any generation in history. There's technical overload. It's estimated that the average person has to learn to operate 20,000 devices in their lifetime. Um, you know, the technical overload on the internet as well. It's estimated that 90% of all statistics that are found on the internet are actually made up. And I've read that on the internet. Um, <laughs> the, um, there's traffic overload. Ha, psych. No, there's not. We live in Tamworth. Um, there's work overload, shorter work weeks, shorter work hours. And yet statistics say that we're working more than we've ever worked. So I don't know about you, who feels good about coming to church this morning? <laughs> Overload. At least you know it's not just you, right? And the culture is actually working against you. So here's our foundation scripture for our series. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. That sounds like busy to me. And I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And you might've heard it from the message paraphrase before. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly and freely. Now I Googled um, in the program I was using to get a picture of a yoke and I got a bunch of egg yolks. They thought I was a bad speller. Yoke is not a common word in our language today, but yoke is something that would go across the backs of oxen, across their shoulders for them to pull a plough, for them to pull a cart or whatever it might be. And the idea was that the stronger, more experienced ox would be yoked to a weaker, less experienced ox, and it would increase the capacity of that younger ox because the older ox was shouldering the burden. And so all of a sudden, the younger ox didn't feel like the load was as heavy as he did before because there was a more experienced ox that was shouldering that burden. Now, across time, um, yokes have been talked about in different ways. When the Gentiles came to God, as we looked in our Acts studies last year, the, the church, the early apostles, they said, hey, Why then do we try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? They were saying the law was too heavy for us. The law was not a good taskmaster. The law was um, a heavy yoke and actually it dragged us down. It didn't increase our capacity. It didn't make us feel lighter. It made us feel heavier. That was the yoke of the rabbis. And and the 613 laws or whatever they were, were embellished and had more applied to them to make you feel even heavier. But Jesus says, come to me, I've got a yoke that is easy. Why? Because I'm gonna shoulder it with you. The yoke of the world as well is not easy. It says have more, it says be more, it says pursue more, it says get more. That's the yoke of our world. It is oppressive and it will drag us down. And so Jesus says, come to me, I'll teach you how to live lightly and freely. Is He gonna make it completely easy? No, He said in this world, you'll have trouble. But he says that I'm going to walk side by side with you. John Mark Comer puts it like this. He says, the solution to an over busy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. That's why he said, in this world, you will have trouble. He's not saying, I'm going to get you out of this world. I'm going to get you free of trouble. No, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He offers us something far better, equipment. He offers His apprentices a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease at His side. I don't know about you, but I get a breath in my soul when I read those words. Like I, I feel a sense of relief come upon me when I read those words. And so as we look at that, what is this gonna do for us? Well, we're gonna look at being busy in week one. We're gonna look at being stressed in week two. We're gonna look at being overwhelmed in week three. And we're gonna look at being tired in week four but not to just look at that and feel like we did in the first 15 minutes of this sermon, but to actually get free and feel easier. 
Um, I was talking to some pastors in Africa recently and they, they were in Melbourne and then they did some time in Africa and now they're in Sydney. And they were saying that in Africa, and I'm sorry if this sounds racist right now, certainly not my intention, but they said that if you, they, their job was to follow up um, new people. And they said, if you went to white people's house, you couldn't get through the front gate. They said, but if you didn't, if you went to someone else's house, you'd be invited in straight away. And they would sit down and they would have coffee with you. And if they weren't at home, then you'd go next door and those people would invite you in. And then they'd walk you to wherever the people next door were. And that's how you would follow up new people that had come to church. It was just this doors flung wide open kind of culture. And then they went to Melbourne, the most locked down city in the world. And then they went to Sydney. And he said that now no one, they do not know their neighbours at all. They're trying to plant a church in Sydney and they don't know anyone. And they can't get to know anyone. And he said, he's decided just to become the weird bloke in the neighbourhood. He said, I can't see any other way to get around this than becoming the weird bloke. And there was another pastor that was there with us as well. And he said, he was planning a church in Sydney as well. And he said, yeah, I, I've been out in the street twice since I've lived in Sydney. Once when there was a house fire of the neighbours. And he said, and no one knew their name in the whole street. No one knew their name to be able to give them comfort. They're just like, hey, mate, sorry about that. <laughs> It wasn't Hibiscus Way, by the way. It's a different place altogether. Um, but it was, um, and so, and the other time was when there was a massive blackout in Sydney and everyone kind of went out to the street because everything turned off. And, and they're like, we, we need to find a way to live like we're in Africa in Sydney. We have to try and find a way. So it's said that there's progress in a couple of areas. The progress that the areas are in our physical environment and our cognitive environment. In our physical environment, in terms of wealth, in terms of health and in terms of technology, we have made tremendous progress. In terms of our cognitive environment, education, knowledge and information, we've made tremendous progress. But the pain, the cost has been to our social environment, our friends, family, neighbourhood, church, that's where the cost has been. The cost has been to our emotional environment, right? Feelings, attitudes, we've got a pandemic of mental health issues. And our spiritual environment where people are no longer thinking about the transcendent and the eternal. So what I wonder today is if we could flip that. If we'd be willing to pay the cost in terms of technology and in terms of wealth, not health, let's keep that on board. Um, but in terms of how much education, knowledge and information we have, if we would be willing to pay a cost to progress, to see progress and health in our social, emotional and spiritual environment, because I don't think we can flourish in all of them. That's why there's pain in some. And it's up to us where we will pay the cost. In fact, William Wilberforce said this. He said, above all, measure your progress by your experience of the love of God and its exercise before men. Now, William Wilberforce, he was, he was rapidly rising. He was popular. He was going to be the next man. He, he should have been prime minister or whatever it looked like. He was the young guy on the page, on the world stage, who was just skyrocketing. And he turned around and decided that his life was worth nothing unless he devoted it to the abolishment of slavery. And he paid a cost for that. He didn't get where he should have, should have gotten according to society. I said, no, no, no. My progress is measured by my experience of the love of God and how I exercise that before men. I wonder, church, if you would be willing to measure your progress differently this morning. Would you be willing to not measure your progress in terms of the haves and the have-nots, but by your experience of the love of God? Evan and Jimmy and Daz and I were in the kitchen the other day and uh, just over here. And we're just chatting and, and, and Jimmy and Daz and Evan were talking about the the, is it a rat wheel? 
Mouse wheel, mouse wheel, hamster wheel, okay. Rodent wheel, as some people like to call it. Um, the rodent wheel of life and how it's just like, you go to work, get home, go to work, get home. And I was like, let's move to Sri Lanka. I don't know why Sri Lanka, it was in my brain. And, and, and Daz was like, mate, you gotta go to the islands. They know what they're doing. They're, they Sure, they don't have much, but they are happy. They are just chilled out and happy. And, and so I wonder if we could change the way that we look at progress. Could we... Think about doing that. It's going to come at a cost. So I want to give you three things this morning in the few minutes that I have left. The first question is, what are you currently yoked to? What is your yoke right now? What are you yoked to? When you feel overwhelmed, what's your go-to? What, are you yoked to work? Are you work yoked to whatever it might be? What are you currently yoked to? Can you identify what you're yoked to? And then the follow-up question would be, how is that going? How's that working out for you? And then the follow-up question would be, do you need to quit it? Do you need to quit it? Uh, Elisha, there's a story in the Bible of a guy called Elisha and a man called Elijah, who was a mighty man of God, called him to, to follow, like to imitate him as he went after God. And what happens is Elisha has some oxen and he's working the field. That is what he's yoked to. That is his responsibility. And he sees this call and he said, that is better than what I'm doing right now. And so he grabs a yoke breaks it, burns it, chucks the oxen on the fire and happy barbecue days. And away he goes and follows Elijah. And he decided that he, needed to, that he needed to make that drastic a statement to stop doing what he was doing. Is there something drastic that you need to do to stop that yoke that you're currently yoked to? Secondly, can you parent your phone? I was a sleep Nazi when I was a mum of young children, literally like, I would, you know, be in their beds with them. I'd pray with them. I'd tell them a story. I'd, you know, read the Bible or whatever. I'd, you know, soothe them. And then I'd say, good night, darling. And then I'd close the door. And then if they open that door, they'd just experience heaven. Now they're going to experience hell. And uh, I'd be like, why are you getting out of bed? Oh, gross. <laughs> but that's also what they experienced. And uh, like I became the wrath of God. I was previously the kindness of God and became the wrath of God. And if they woke up before seven, get back into bed. It's not seven o'clock in the morning yet. Like it was like, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I'm certainly happy. Um, and, and, they, and, and that's what they did. I think, you know, that sometimes we're more like parents who respond to every quiet cry of that demanding toddler when it relates to our phone. And we need to parent more like Bron and less like, reasonable parents. <laughs> um, parent, we need to parent our phone. We need to put our phone to bed before we go to bed and have some me time. You know, sometimes we think our me time is this time, but no, that's your time with a bunch of other people that are on that phone as well. Rowan. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we think that's me time. We need to put our phone away. <laughs> And, and, and not let it be the thing that we go to straight away when we wake up. We need to parent our phone. You know, I, I think our phone makes us feel way busier than we actually are. Have you talked to someone and they've been on their phone? You know, we have this rule, Bella and I'll call each other and I'll be like, sweetie, what are you doing right now? Because all of a sudden she just kind of vagues out of the conversation. What are you doing? She's like, oh, sorry, mum. And she does the same to me as well. Mum, are you checking emails? Oh, sorry, sorry, Bells. We just, you know, our minds go everywhere and our phone will take us wherever we want to go. So let's parent our phone. And then finally, determine your diary. Let's lock some stuff in. We say that these things are most important to us. Let's lock it in. If progress is measured, as William Wilberforce said, by ex our experience of the love of God, 
and ex- exercise before men, then what is locked in to our calendar? What is locked in? Determine your diary. You know what? I, I, let me just get really real and pastoral with you for a second. Um, you, let's not be flipping a coin and coming to church in the morning. Like experiencing God. And you might say, oh, Bron, the church as it is now isn't what it's meant to be. I would say, okay, well, let's come up with a better alternative. And, and you know what, doesn't I pray for that regularly. Lord, what is it that you want to do? And we'll jump on board with that. We're not married to this. But until there's a better alternative, we'll keep doing this. Until there's a better alternative of being able to connect people and people that don't know God to God, then then we'll keep doing this. And so I would suggest to you, don't flick the coin on whether you're coming or not. Recently, people have been very kind to me with feedback on what I've been preaching. And it's not kind to me. They're telling me the stories of what God's doing in their life as a result of what they've heard, of of game-changing moments, of life-changing moments. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Imagine if you hadn't come. I don't say that out loud. I just wonder in my heart. Imagine if you hadn't come, like how much longer would it have taken you to, to capture that, to rip up that list or whatever it might be? Whatever connects you to God, have you got it in your calendar as a no-brainer, as a non-negotiable? That's what I'm doing. Let's not flick the coin on coming to church. And then, you know, as it relates to family, because everyone would say that family is important to them, as Dom Toretto says. Pardon, Locke? Well, nothing is stronger than family. Okay, that's a pop culture thing that I only know because I've got teenagers, so don't feel bad, any of you. Um, Dom Trudeau says nothing is stronger than family. I don't actually even know who Dom Trudeau is. Is he the guy from Fast and the Furious? Yes, okay, well, we take our lead from him. Um, nothing is stronger than family. Family is so vitally important, we would all say that, but have we got time locked in in our diary to reflect that? What would your diary reflect? If you're married, do you have a regular time just with your spouse? Is that reflected in your diary? Because it's up to you to determine your diary. If you're not married and you want to be, have you got time in your diary where you're praying for a spouse? Like, why not? Like, lock your date night in with Jesus to be praying for your spouse or to be working on you to be the person that you want to marry. Like, there's actually some things you can do while you're in the waiting. If you've got kids, have you got time locked in in your diary to be spending with them? And and this is the cool thing that God does it according to our wiring. He says, I won't lay anything ill-fitting on you. And so for me, like to play with the kids, that was Daz's job. But if he were to read to the kids, he'd skip five pages and the story wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> and so that was my job to read to the kids. That was my time. And, and it was according to who we were that, in the way that we related. And that's, that's what God will do with us as well. So let's not go, well, that's not really me. What is it that is you that you can spend time with your kids? If you don't have kids, but one day you want kids, how about you go to a young couple at church and say, hey, can I look after your kids while you guys go on a date night? You'll either get more ready or you'll be cured. It's win-win. <laughs> You're going to be fine. So as it relates to family, and then as it relates to our church family, acts like family feels like home. What's one thing that you can do? One thing that you can, I want to say add, but I'm hesitant to say add because any time we say add, we go, oh, But according to your wiring, according to your personality, what's something that you can work into your diary to go as it relates to the family of faith, how am I building that community? How am I building that spiritual community? Let me finish with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, put first things first and second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both first and second things. Jesus, he came for the whole world. But he invested in the few for the sake of the many. Jesus 
He, he, he drove a way crowd sometimes. He was okay with that. He didn't care so much about his influence as he did about his impact. And so he decided that he would um, get 70 followers and send them out and he really trained them up and sent them out. But then he had his 12 that he lived life with and, and decided to entrust the church with and he spent real time with them. And then he had three that he took up to the mountain and let them experience a bunch of stuff that he got to experience. But then he had another three. He had Martha, Mary and Lazarus that were like his people, his people to be, live life with and, and, and just sit around a table with and have laughs with. And so like, I, I don't think we need to strategize. Well, it's not my nature. Maybe it's your nature. It's not my nature to work out who my three are and sorry, you're not in the three and who my 70 are and oh, I'm sorry, you, may, you missed the mark. Um, maybe next round you'll get a cut. Like, that's not my nature, but, but maybe it is yours. And I totally, like according to your wiring, don't lay anything ill-fitting on you. Work out how you're going to invest in the few for the sake of the many. Work out what you're going to do and how you're going to act like family and feel like home. But the, the major thing that you have to do is simplify in order to make any of this happen. So um, just in the few minutes that we've got left, I just firstly want to give everyone the opportunity. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, come to me. And I want to just say, hey, have you come to Jesus? Have you done that first? That's first things first. That person's just ringing in to say that they want to come to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I see that virtual hand. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. The heaviest burden that we carry is that of a disjointed relationship between us and God, is that of a heavy burden of our past and regret. And I wanna give you the opportunity this morning to offload that heavy burden to Jesus. So let's just close our eyes and block out distractions. And if that's you this morning, I just wanna pray for you and and I'd love to, um, yeah, just pray a blessing on you. If you wanna come to Jesus this morning, do you just wanna raise your hand? And say, yes, that's me. Include me in that prayer. Anyone? Awesome. Great decision. Anyone else here this morning? Yep. I want to come to Jesus. I want to let go of my burden of regret and guilt and shame and past. And I want all things to become new. Lord God, I pray. Yes, awesome decision. I pray for these people, Lord. I pray that as they let their burdens go, Lord, as they surrender them to You, Lord, that You would rush in like a flood. Lord, that You would yoke Yourself to them, Lord God, that they would instantly feel lighter because You are shouldering the load of their life. And Lord, I pray that for every single person in this room. Lord, where previously they've tried to do it on their own, I pray, Lord, that we would run to You right now. Lord, that we would feel that lift, Lord, off our shoulders, Lord, of You saying, no, 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 take my burden upon You. Get rid of Your burden, take my burden upon You. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, we come under Your burden this morning, Lord, and acknowledge that you are the more experienced, you are the wise, your thoughts are above ours, your ways are above ours. And we say, Lord, come and let us take your burden rather than ours. Thank you that you've shouldered our burden this morning. Lord, I pray for wisdom. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom to know what's right around being busy and you give us the courage to do what's right. Lord, don't let it just be knowledge in our hearts, but let it be practice of our hands in Jesus' name. We ask you these things because we love you and we know that you love us. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.